the ripple effects of the murder of George Floyd continue to just spread out right through society, through all portions of society, as we begin to take a more critical look at all of the institutions around us. You know, there are the things that make the kind of it's kind of goofy headlines like Aunt Jemima and now Uncle Ben and Mrs. Buttersworth and that sort of thing. But there are also very, very serious conversations underway about systemic racism, whether it exists in the RCMP and where it exists in all of the institutions that we have in our lives. Institutions like the media, the people who bring you the news, who present to you what's going on around you and whether there is an institutional racism within that organization, with the organizations, whether they're private or public, whether it's the CBC or whether it's Chorus Entertainment, which owns this radio station, it's time for a hard look. And journalists of, cover, of color have been expressing some very frank opinions and some hard-to-hear stories about what's really going on and has been going on in the Canadian media establishment. Denise Balkasun is executive editor at Chatelaine Magazine, and she filed a piece, and I'll just quote from it a little bit here, where she talks about, while editors-in-chief are ultimately responsible for the makeup and output of their teams, all the publishers, directors, producers, managers, and colleagues who stand by as racialized employees repeat themselves year after year are helping to hold up the structure of institutional racism. Denise joins me on the line. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. You note in your piece that a number of other journalists of color have spoken mm -hmm. out. You obviously decided to take some time yourself and to ruminate on this. I, I'm just wondering what prompted you at this point to publish? Uh, I mean, it seems like the moment, one of the things that any anti-racist movement needs is momentum. That's how change is made. And there were just so many people finally saying things that they hadn't say, said for years. And I, I wanted to add my voice to that. You also note that Canadian media is a small pond. I remember that, you know, when I was in school, they'd say, this is a small business. And I'm sort of struck by it each and every year further I go into the business, how incredibly small it is. This is a difficult thing to say. Oh, I'm, it was it was very hard. Uh, I mean, there are people that I work with now who I've worked with for 20 years. There are people at the Globe who I'd worked with at my very first job at Toronto Life magazine. Um, it's a very small industry. The power positions are held by a very small group of people. It was intimidating for me to write, for sure. Again, a lot of other people, as they were speaking out, said, this is an intimidating thing for me to say. And so that was very encouraging. What's the reaction been so far? So far, I've only had positive feedback. Um, you know, I feel like every racialized journalist in the country <laughs> uh, wrote me to say, you know, that they felt the same, a lot of the same things or thank you or, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's only been positive feedback so far. You talk about your time uh, at the Globe, um, and maybe you could just recount for me about uh, the coverage of a particular um minister going to visit a particular restaurant? Okay, so it was um, Ahmed Hassan when he was an immigration minister, um, and he held an event at a Nigerian restaurant, which I believe is in Etobicoke, uh, and the story was about the fact that 
um, a group called the Black X had also been to that restaurant at a different time. Uh, and so they, um, I, I don't know exactly if they're classified as a gang. Uh, they're an unsavory group of people. And so the story was this black politician went to a restaurant and some unsavory people who are also black went there at a different time. That was basically the takeaway that I got from the story. Um, I didn't think it I didn't think it had a lot of merit to begin with. And then I heard that uh, the restaurant owner was receiving a lot of racist abuse. I got sent a very forwarded, a very scary email that had been sent to the restaurant. Um, and so I just, yeah, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable not saying anything about it because there are very few black journalists and it shouldn't be on them anyway, but there are very few black journalists in the Globe newsroom. And so I just felt a responsibility to say that I didn't appreciate that story. I'll just relate, you know, some of my experiences being a you know broadcast journalist for a long time. I, I, it 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 seems to have taken forever in incremental change just to be able to convince our newsroom and all of our writers to not repeat things like you see in the police releases all the time. You know, suspect blackmail in a hoodie, mm-hmm. and that 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 you know you, we can't say that. And you know, it sort of speaks to what you were talking about. It like somehow you know a minister going to a restaurant. That how does that bring in a criminal organization? And we, we need to be able to have an open conversation about the fact that we really must change. I think so. I think it's it's beyond time. What do you say to the white management, and it's predominantly white management? I mean, I, I think about you know the organization I work with. I mean, we're having hard conversations here at Chorus too. Um, I mean, what would you say uh, to those people in those positions of power today? The thing that really confuses me or frustrates me is that um, in newspapers, especially or print journalism, we've been hearing for years that things are shrinking and it's very frightening and we have to get more subscribers because ad money is disappearing. And I know that there is an audience for a wider range of stories Um, I've built my career on that audience. And so I don't understand, you know, the barrier is only racism because if you really cared about getting a larger audience, well, there's one waiting for stories that are meaningful to them. It's it's right there if you care to, you know, serve it. (laughs) Like as if, you know, as if you have to actually appeal to the bottom line, like there's an audience there waiting to consume that content. Yeah, well, I mean, because people don't like to be told they should do something because it's right. I mean, it is morally right. Uh, it would also make the journalism better because when you get people from different walks of life and different communities, they report with more depth on those stories. Um, but yes, it is also about the bottom line. It's just very silly to pass that money up as far as I'm concerned. I, I know that when I was managing editor and, you know, I was you know, smack dab in the in middle management, but I was at the time on a hunt for new, for broadcast reporters here mm-hmm. in Toronto. And really, at the top of our list would be uh, a black or indigenous reporter. That was what we were looking for because we wanted to reflect some diversity on the air. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll leave aside the fact that the people making the decision were pretty much uniformly white men. But I think my experience was is that the barriers are 
further down the line. They're at school. They're at the first job. They're at the positions where, you know, there just wasn't anybody for us that was experienced to be, you know, come to Toronto and be a broadcast journalist. And you realize that this, the institutional uh, racism and systemic injustice goes all the way back down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a story from my time at Carlson Journalism in there too, but I had to I had to cut a few things out of my draft. It was it was getting kind of long. Um, there's definitely a missing middle of racialized journalists. There's a lot of young people um, who get squeezed out one way or the other, and then there's a few oldies like me that have hung on. Um, there needs to be better mentorship, and there just needs to be an understanding that it is tough, and we need people to make it through to the middle part. I wonder if you heard the Prime Minister this morning talking about, you know, they're going to be uncomfortable conversations, and that's okay. And that, I mean, that's kind of part of what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing is, so many conversations have been uncomfortable for me already. Um, so <laughs> I am used to those. So it's people who have been avoiding uncomfortable conversations that need to realize you can't avoid them forever. <laughs> and and I get the point too that you know our the people of color, the journalists of color, are just simply tired of their white colleagues coming to them and saying, "What should we do?" Yes. Yeah. Well, especially when there are so few of us, you know. It's the same. It's the same people getting the questions all the time because there are so few of us around. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 tiring. It's work. It's, it was my point. It's work. It's part of our jobs, and it should be recognized as part of our jobs. And all the time that we spend helping um, our white colleagues is taking away from our work, and all of that needs to be recognized. Denise, I appreciate you writing what you did, and I really appreciate you coming on uh, the show and talking about it today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That is Denise Balkasun, who's executive editor at Chatelaine Magazine.